Hello and welcome to IPA Victoria Public Sector Perspectives, ideas and insights about the public sector during the COVID crisis. I'm Nick Basto from IPA Victoria, and today on the show we'll be looking at how public sector managers are responding to the challenge of suddenly having to manage their teams remotely. Being a public sector manager isn't easy at the best of times, and if you hadn't noticed, these aren't the best of times. Across the state, thousands of public sector professionals are learning on the job about how to remotely manage their work teams, and they're facing a twin challenge. Not only are they responsible for delivering the work output of their group when everyone's working from home, but they're also responsible for leading their groups at a time when everyone's under a lot of stress. IPA Victoria is working with mental health expert Jono Nicholas to help support those managers during these difficult times. John is one of Australia's most prominent experts in mental health, and he's worked in the mental health sector for over 20 years. From 2010 to 2018, he was the CEO of Reach Out Australia, which is the most accessed online mental health service for young people and their parents in Australia. With so many public sector managers experiencing the sudden switch to working from home, managing their teams remotely, adjusting to changes in their own homes and family, and to say nothing of the health threat of the virus itself, there will clearly be a lot of very stressed people out there. So I began by asking Jono what we know about how our brains respond to stress. So when our brains are under stress, they the, the reptilian part of our brain, so the back part of our brain takes over, and that's really driven by um, a need when we're under threat to either run or fight. So what we call our fight or flight system. So when we're under stress, we are generally experiencing some fear. Uh, that bit of the brain takes over and, and is really about a drive for survival. Uh, and what happens then is our prefrontal cortex or the front bit of our human brain uh, is suppressed and we find it much harder to think about complex issues. Um, we think about forward and backwards in time. So it really impacts on our ability to do the work that we would otherwise do. So what does that knowledge, I guess, tell us about how managers should be talking to their teams, interacting with them at this sort of moment? So the first part of it is recognise that as managers, we're stressed uh, and recognise that our people are stressed uh, and we have to adjust our behaviour. So the first thing that I would recommend is is look after yourself first and make sure you're going into conversations in as uh, in a good a state, mental state as possible. The easiest strategy to do there is before you have a conversation with your team, simply do a two to five minute mindfulness exercise. You can use one of the apps online or, or do a breathing exercise. So it slows your system down and your calm. The second part is uh, as much as possible, check in with how people are going uh, before you start having complex conversations and then adjust what you're expecting of people after that. Um, the third part is when we are stressed, we need things to be a lot clearer uh, and requests to be a lot more concrete. So the, the other part of this is absolutely that managers need to be very clear in what they're expecting of their people um, so that uh, there isn't any confusion and, and further stress. You're in, I guess, a unique position in that you're currently talking to a wide cross-section of Victorian public sector leaders and managers. We're recording this conversation in early May. So I guess the obvious question is, how do you think they're travelling? Look, I... The, 
the leaders I've spoken with uh, are absolutely doing it tough, um, as we all are. There's, there's a number of parts to this. The, the first is um, all our public sector leaders are humans as well and, and are worried about their parents, are worried about their kids going to school, are coping with a huge range of change in their personal life. So we have to start there. The second part is that um, we're having to go through a huge amount of change in our personal life, but also how we operate our organisations. And the reality is government is never was never designed to work as fast as it is currently working in terms of the amount of change. And so the amount of approvals that public sector leaders are being asked to, to move through, the amount of uh, challenges they're compressing into short periods of time is really a different way of working and that's maximising it. And then the third thing that's perhaps different about public sector workers than other parts uh, of, of Australia is if anything, the workload has gone up while other parts of, of um, our, our economy have dropped. And so we're really starting to see some signs of burnout of, of just people feeling really tired as they've operated at a very high pace um, during the first stages of the pandemic. One of the analogies I've heard you use is about oxygen masks in planes. And I wonder what you, maybe you could just unpack what you think that analogy means for the practice of being a manager. Absolutely. So um, we can't look after others if we can't look after ourselves is the simple message. Um, and but what we also know is that stress itself is contagious. So if as a leader, you are highly stressed, uh, you're sitting in that reptilian part of your brain struggling to think, then when you engage with your people, they'll also respond to your stress levels. So unless leaders put on their own mask, uh, simply to protect themselves and manage their own energy levels, they also run a much bigger secondary risk that everyone that they interact with um, kind of feeds off their stress and you kind of have this stress contagion. So um, the, the critical thing here is for leaders to make sure they're taking pauses throughout the day, they're looking after themselves as best they can, they're maintaining sleep and exercise, uh, doing things like simple meditation or mindfulness exercises so that they're giving themselves and their teams the best chance to respond under what are extraordinary conditions um, and, and being able to manage uh, what can be quite a long period of stress if we think about the stages of, of, of this pandemic. One of the things that struck me, I've heard you say, is that um, recognising uh, that your team is actually better at recognising when you're stressed then often you are there as an individual because you're the person giving out the signals. Absolutely. So when we're in our reptilian part of our brain, that's our unconscious brain. So it controls our heart rate, our breathing. Um, and it really, we display that behavior when we're stressed in a very unconscious way. So what that means is that other people are going to be much better at reading um, us than ourselves. Um, and so things like just asking your team to say, look, if I'm coming in and I'm barking orders at you rather than asking questions, if I'm talking fast rather than talking slow, if I seem like I'm not listening because I'm trying to process too much information, then let me know because I need that feedback so that I can recalibrate. And just the awareness of allowing your people to participate in their feedback around your behaviour in and of itself is a great leadership strategy in this time. Uh, increases psychological safety, so offers your people an opportunity to feel safe. Also lets them know 
that you are not superhuman and that everybody is struggling and allows them to also say, do you know what? I'm also stressed um, and, and really allows them to participate rather than feeling like uh, everybody has to, to cope and, and operate under normal, uh, at normal levels under extraordinary conditions. You must have heard and seen a range of practical things that managers are doing to help themselves and to help their teams work in this sort of very stressful environment. What are some of the practical things that you think actually help managers to, to do that job? So the first thing that I would recommend to everybody is think about a success list, not a task list. So what we often do is we start our day, for many of us, we have a, a, a list of things that we want to get done. Um, none of that suggests that any of those tasks are going to drive our success. Uh, so I would always suggest for people to say, look, at the end of the day or the end of the week, if I did these sort of five to 10 things, my week would be a success. Uh, and make sure you're writing those down. Uh, share those with your team and ask your team to say, what are their success lists? And the reason is when we're stressed, we tend to do or write down the thing that is just in front of us because that's where our brain, our brain operates mm. in the here and now when it's stressed. And so we often do things that are uh, less important but appear higher, uh, more urgent. So that'd be the first thing, flip from, from, from task list to success list. The second thing as I spoke about is make sure you're recalibrating the broad things in your life like exercise, sleep, making sure you're taking cognitive breaks throughout the day so that your own macro well-being is in its best um, is in its best state a really simple thing is um, to use perhaps the 45 minutes that you might use to travel to and from the office if you're working from home to go for a walk in the morning uh, or the afternoon uh, or, or build in that exercise time make sure you're taking a lunch break for example rather than just going from meeting to meeting and then the, the third thing that I would do is make sure you schedule with your team at least probably once a week for just social catch up. We often forget that work is as much about a social experience and we do a lot of the most important work through social connection, chatting to people as we're having a cup of tea, asking people what did that meeting really mean. And one of the dangers if we're all working in a distributed way is all our conversations become transactional. So the easiest way to do this is just set up if you're if you're in different locations, set up a video call perhaps over lunch and people just have their lunch and chat to each other um, over video, just like you would have a, a lunch at work. And it's really about creating those social connections that will really help your your own performance and your team's performance uh, during this time. There, I guess there may be people in a team who aren't coping well and the fact that we, we're not physically working together probably makes it harder for managers to see that someone might be struggling. What are some of the strategies you think, you think that managers can use in this sort of environment to help team members who they suspect might be finding it hard? So the first part of this is uh, we can use some broad data points to, to see who is most likely to, to be struggling. 
what uh, has become very clear through the data is parents um, of school-age children, particularly primary school-age children, are really finding this period very, very tough. They're not only having to change their work patterns, but they're having to have their kids with them uh, 24 hours a day. They're having to support them in their education. Um, so that group cognitively is under a huge amount of pressure. So I would be sort of checking in and thinking through in your team, who's got you know, parent, who, who in my team might have kids particularly in that primary school age group um, because they'll be under different sorts of pressures than others. Uh, the second group that we know is at increased risk are those that might be living by themselves or not have the amount of social connections and so loneliness for that group um, might be there and that might be an older worker um, who's coming to the end of their career who work is a really important part of their social life or a, or a young worker who for them um, need the sorts of structure and engagement to get their work done. So identify some groups and what might be their risks is the first part of that. The second part of that is when you do your one-on-one -on -one check-ins, just do a simple exercise that asks people how they're going and use a number, not words. So my recommendation would be to say, I just want to check in on how you're going, thinking about the last two weeks or the last month on a scale of one to 10, where one is the worst that life could be and 10 is the best, can you just share with me your average number? And that's a really easy way for people to enter into the conversation that, that they would be not coping, but without disclosing information that they otherwise might not want to disclose. Um, so what you want to see is that your team on average sits six and above um, and then you simply say, look, if you're, if you're dropping below six, let me know. I'm always here to talk and that, that can open up a, a, a much more caring conversation, but without asking them to disclose any details that they may feel uncomfortable about. So that's an easy way into a conversation. Um, but the, the third thing that you absolutely want to do as leaders is you want to share some of your own struggles. If you're vulnerable, if you share that sometimes you're not coping or you've had a bad night's sleep, then that opens the way for your team members to also share their struggles because they know that the leader finds that an acceptable part of the conversation. We discussed earlier the idea of the sort of the reptilian brain and the sort of the idea of trying to move people back towards the sort of prefrontal cortex thinking. Are there, are there actually ways you can actually stimulate that sort of thinking in people? Absolutely. So the first part of it is to move out of our reptilian brain, we have to feel safe. So the, the number one job of leaders in this time is helping their people feel safe most of the time. Now, the, the way in which we do that is as leaders, we can help their, our people feel like the world is more predictable by giving them an understanding about the processes by which decisions are made. So people feel more safe if the world is predictable, if what happens in the world um, maps what they think will happen in the world. Obviously, that's been one of the reasons why people are very stressed at the moment. And the second, the second part that makes us feel safe is if we can clearly see how our actions contribute to that world. So the other part that leaders can do is say, look, here's what's happening in the world. You know, COVID-19 looks like it's under control. Um, and at some point there'll be a return to the office. Um, can I be, can I share with you our approach to return to the office will be these three stages and, and I'll let you know how that goes. So that makes something predictable that might otherwise be worrying people. And then you say, here's, you know, here's what I need you to do. In the meantime, I need you to contribute to these three phone calls. Uh, I need you to consider downloading the, the COVID safe app so that we can contribute to each other's safety. Um, 
and I, you know, I need you to let me know um, any particular days where you, you may be able to come into the office if we're doing a stage return. And that just allows people to have a sense of involvement. So you make the world more predictable. Uh, you'd share with them what you're going to do and you ask them to contribute. And that automatically lifts people out of that fear brain into a, into a different style of thinking. The second thing is that if you want people to operate in future thinking, so planning, then have a separate meeting where you don't talk about the here and now. So as soon as you are, as soon as you start talking about how people are coping around COVID-19, everyone's reptilian brain goes firing off. So you simply set up a meeting where you say, look, let's imagine we're three months in the future uh, and they've got a vaccine for COVID-19. So we don't need to talk about it. What is it that we would like to see? in that time and so you you really you you kind of set some artificial parameters to allow people to operate in that future mindset um and that will be a big part of of helping them operate in a different way than just dealing with the here and now do you think there are particular stresses related to being a public sector manager during COVID 19 ipa is the professional association for people working in the public sector and i guess um much of what you said is applicable to the private and public and the community sector workplaces. But I wondered about sort of homing in on public sector managers. Um, do you think that there are particular stresses related to being a public sector manager with so many people working from home at the moment? Yes, yeah, so I think the first part of it that is a, a particular stress is that the public sector has accelerated its or, or increased its speed as other parts of the economy have dropped. So what we're seeing is that the public sector is operating, operating on a different cadence um, that, um, and therefore during this period as we're starting to go into the recovery, what we might see in the public sector is a lot more people, you know, sort of mentally hitting the wall, just being very tired um, as they've had to operate at a different pace. The second part that I think is really different, as I said, is is the public sector is designed in a particular way to have lots of checks and balances that are very appropriate in relation to money, um, making sure all sorts of stakeholders are appropriately engaged um, and that certain decisions, you know, happen in a particular way. A lot of what I've uh, spoken to public sector leaders about is this time and this speed has meant that those normal checks and balances aren't necessarily operating in the same way and that that's put a huge amount of pressure on working in a different way than the system is designed to work. And I think that needs to be recognised because that puts the huge amount of pressure on public sector workers. If you just take a case example of that in our education system, you know, we've had an education system and every teacher has been trained to educate our kids in buildings called schools and in less than a month they had to completely reorganize everything that they've learned and and also meet the high anxiety of parents um, as they they themselves are changing that is an enormous amount of change in the way in which we work um, and the expectation of public sector workers is they do that at a very very high quality that puts a new pressure on them so you know, if it's mapped right across the public sector, then there are very different stresses than perhaps we would see in the private sector. I'm going to ask you finally to go out on a limb and maybe try some crystal ball gazing uh, and ask you what sort of traditional management practices or workplace behaviours are going to change permanently because of COVID-19, do you think? Do you think there'll be some sort of lasting change in the way management happens because of what's, what we've experienced? 
So I think the first part that we will see is um, this idea of a split between work from home or work from the office will no longer exist. You know, we, we often talk about flexible working of, oh, you get to work from home. What we will start seeing, I think, is, is what I've kind of termed blended reality. So you imagine you're running an office um, where on any given time, uh, you know, maybe 20, 30% of the workforce will be working uh, from home or in a distributed way. You have a meeting and it will be completely normal to have people in, in one room, people on video, and it won't be an awkward experience. Um, or you won't have to cancel the meeting. So I think that'll be the first part. We will simply um, work differently in this sort of blended reality way. The second big part is we will accelerate the investment in technology systems as a result of COVID-19. Um, so things like, you know, it, it will be very, very odd for an office not to have very high quality video um, meeting um, software, for example. I think it'll be very odd for uh, people not to be provided along with their laptop, very high end uh, uh, audio facilities and, and so that they can participate in those sorts of meetings. So we'll see a lot more ingraining of technology in how we run our, our organizations. And then the third big trend that will have to change um, is the move to open plan offices and um, and no permanent desks. So uh, already organisations, both public and private sector, are rethinking floor space design, meeting room sizes, um, how we operate in our organisations um, to increase social distancing. And that will flow through, right through into design of offices, um, how many people are in the office at any particular point in time and how we spend time in those offices. So we've seen probably for the last 20 years, the casualization of the office. I think that, that there will be a real review as to uh, how that continues to operate and how technology uh, will continue to operate. That said, I think there will be a really strong desire for people still to travel, to meet face-to-face, -to, -face, to yeah. have a sense of physical connectedness. Yeah. So some of those things will revert um, even as some of these big trends take hold. Look, John and Nicholas, it's been a great discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this episode. If you want to learn more about the wellbeing program that John and Nicholas is running for public sector leaders and managers, then just go to the IPA Victoria website at VIC ipaa.org.au. This is the first in a series of programs that IPA Victoria will be producing during the COVID crisis. You can get in touch with us via info at vic.ipaa.org.au or via IPA Victoria on all the usual social media channels. And thanks for listening. <laughs>